Welcome to the Sisterhood & Co. podcast. I'm your host, Harriet Blevins. This podcast is designed to empower, educate, and encourage women of all ages and stages of life in their walk with God. Our goal and intent is to provide you with the best content and topics relevant to your lives as Christians. We will have conversations with other leaders all along the way and discuss topics all of us want and need to hear. I'm so happy you're here, and I hope you enjoy the journey with me. So good, all about Moses. There's a song out there about Moses. I love it so much. Awesome. Thank you, Shell, for that amazing opening. That was wonderful. Yes, we do keep praying for our little Nicole as she's making her way back home this week. Just keep her in your prayers. And, uh, and for Matt and Aaron Blair, literally our family down in Tampa. And, um, you know, we just, and of course, you know, they're not going to leave. Kathy said, you know, Matt's like, it's fine. We're going to be fine. So, you know, they're, you know, pastoring a massive church and that they want to be there present in case they are needed, you know, afterwards. So please just be praying over all of that, just all of that. Um, And so we come into agreement with all that you've already prayed. Okay, so we're going to get right in it today. Last week we talked about the Hebrew midwives. Remember those girls, Shifra and Pua, unfortunate names, but awesome women, Awesome women. And we talked about how their civil act of disobedience actually began the opening of the door for the Exodus. It's the first recorded act in history of civil disobedience, or those two Hebrew midwives at the time of Moses' birth. Now, that is pretty big. So today, as Michelle said, we're going to carry right on our theme of the women in this story. Now, I promise, next week, Gina is bringing the word, and we're going right into the adult life of Moses. And if you've read Exodus 2, you know it kind of is like he's a little baby, and then, boom, he's killing somebody. So, I mean, it goes real fast. So it's like I'm not really sure what all happened in all that time. But anyway... So Gina's going to take us into the adult life. We're really going to get into that beginning next week. But I really thought it was important for us to see the women that surrounded Moses' life, his family, the, the women that made all of that possible by their choices and decisions, sometimes in a split second. And so I wanted to just, you know, unpack all that today. Um, I want to go to our text today, which is going to be Exodus 2, 1 through 10, and I'm going to read that right now all the way through, and then we're going to go back and visit it a bit. Now, a man from the house of Levi went and married a daughter of Levi. I'm going to explain that in a minute. And the woman conceived and bore a son, and when she saw that he was beautiful, she hid him for three months. So he was three months old before he went into the basket. But when she could hide him no longer, she got him a wicker basket and covered it over with tar and pitch. Then she put the child into it and set it among the reeds by the bank of the Nile. And his sister stood at a distance to find out what would happen to him. Then the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the Nile with her maidens walking alongside the Nile. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her maids And she brought it to her. And when she opened it, she saw the child, and behold, the boy was crying. And she had pity on him and said, This is one of the Hebrews' children. Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and call a nurse for for you from the Hebrew women, that she may nurse the child for you? 
And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Go ahead. So the girl went and called the child's mother. Then Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take the child away and nurse him for me, and I shall give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed him, and the child grew, and she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. And she named him Moses and said, Because I drew him out of water. Now we're going to come back to this passage in just a few minutes. How many of you believe that we are living in a time in our culture that is trying to actually erase womanhood? Actually erase it. Um, It's playing out everywhere. It's playing out in public restrooms. It's playing out on women's sports teams. I mean, the examples are everywhere of it's just kind of like, you know, just like there's been an eraser, you know, it just, and I want to say when men try to become women by wearing high heels and makeup and doing their hair and their nails and dressing a certain way, or even just saying, because today I feel like a woman, what it does is it begins then to uh, affront, to offend the true sense and heart of womanhood. And that is something we as Christian women have to push back against. We have to say, this is not right. This, I don't care if you feel like Ronald McDonald. That does not make you a clown or whatever he is. I mean, you know what I'm saying? I mean, yes, we do. Yes, we do. We do know. It's a skewing of true identity that is only given to us by the Lord. Only given, and and I would like to ask a question, and we'll just let it hang out there like a participle. Where are the raging feminists? Where are they? Remember the ones with the pink hats? Remember all that? Where are they? They're nowhere. They're completely silent. Okay, so the enemy has hijacked womanhood, or he's trying. He's trying to. The rise of lesbianism and gender confusion is the highest that it has ever been in our nation's history. It's a warping, a confusing, a um, perverted situation among the genders. It's so messed up. So, okay, so now we're going to go back to our text, and we're going to look today at some real women. We're going to actually take a look at them. And the first one is Moses' mother. We're going to talk about her a lot today. Her name is Jochebed. You will not find that name in this text that I just read. It is found in Numbers 2659, if you want to go over and see that. And her husband's name is Amram. Amram, who is also her nephew. So that's not squirrely, is it? It's just like, whew. Okay. So we know from Hebrew writings that her hometown is a place called Goshen. And I want you to write that down because in a few weeks, we are going to unpack the place of Goshen physically and spiritually. I believe right now prophetically we are entering into a Goshen time in the earth. I believe that God has provided a Goshen for his people during crazy town. I think he actually has. Now, it really matters that this is where she is from. It's a big deal that this is the the place where she is from. And it gives us a why 
behind how this woman, Jochebed, could so fully trust God with her baby boy. It begins to tell us the why. Verse 1 that I just read, we see that she is a Levite. Now, how many of you were at church two weeks ago when Tim preached on the priesthood of believers? That we are all priests. Not just those of us up here talking and going on and on. Everybody, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you are part of the priesthood of believers. But in the Old Testament, it was the tribe of Levi that was set aside to minister to God in his house and to the people. That was literally, they were keepers of God's house. That I joke all the time and say, my family is the Levites because every single person is in ministry, I think. But what we're doing, we're keeping the house of God. We're making sure the house of the Lord has what it needs. The people of God are, are doing okay. That's what this tribe did. So Moses' very bloodline, now remember it said in verse 1, it's from both sides, because she married her nephew, both sides are Levites. Now, I mean, he is a Levite through and through, so we begin to see why later he truly indeed does become a minister to his people. We begin to see that play out. She saw, the text said, that Moses was a beautiful boy, that he was a beautiful baby. And then she hid him, which, circling back to last week, is yet another act of civil disobedience. This mother, Jochebed, she feared God more than she feared the king's edicts, mandates, whatever, whatever. She feared God more. And she was like, you know, no, that's not what I'm going to do. So I don't even know where I am right now. Okay. So my title for today, I think, is going to be Let's Hear It for the Girls. I think that's what I'm going to title it. You know, I have to title it because it'll go on the podcast. How many of you are listening to the podcast? I'm actually having people reach out to me in other states that are listening to this podcast. And it's kind of crazy. But it's awesome. So those of you who are listening by podcast, we welcome you into the sisterhood. All right. In verse 3, we see this word. She hid him in a basket. She hid him in a basket. The Hebrew word for basket is this word tava, T-A-V-A. And we only see that word one other place in Scripture And it is the word, the same word used for Noah's ark. That also is a basket, a tava, so to speak. In both instances, we see salvation by means of tava and a means to escape water. We see it in both instances. Now, this basket has great implications Because Moses' mother, she had to have known that even as she was creating this thing and, and tarring and pitching it, she knew the implications because she knew the story of the great flood. <laughs> Believe me, they sat around and talked about it. Remember, you know, these are Jewish people. They pass it on and pass it on and pass it on. She knew what the rainbow in the sky meant. She knew. She knew all that that. I believe... Um, that she also somehow, uh, maybe not in her brain, but in her knower, y'all know what I'm talking about, in her spirit woman down in here, she knew 
that somehow this boy was also going to be used as a means of salvation, if not deliverance as well, possibly for his people. I believe she knew that. She is the number one brave heroine of our story today. And we're going to get a little bit more into her later on in the message. The second character that we see is Moses' sister. Now, this text does not name her, but we know her name is Miriam. Miriam's name means bitter. That's what her name means. And she did have some bitter times in her life because of her own decisions and her own choices later on. In verse 4, it tells us, And his sister stood at a distance to find out what would happen to him. We see that she positioned herself wisely. Some of you, God wants to show you something. Maybe even in your family. Maybe even that's happening to your family from the outside. And he wants you to position yourself so that you can take notice so that you can best see how to step into that place at the right time. That's what she's doing here. She, in order to find out what was going to happen to her baby brother, she's positioning herself. Now, we know quite a bit past this text about Miriam. We, We know this. We know that later she would accompany this same brother on the great exodus as the Israelites are are led to freedom by means of the Red Sea. We we actually know that she's part of that. She is also the first woman in the Bible to be given the title of prophetess. She's the first one. So here as a young girl, and this tells us, I just read the text to you, she's a girl, it says. She, can someone get me a Kleenex? Oh, wait, I might have one in my purse. Hold on. I know now I'm kind of cold. You know, then I was freezing, now I'm cold. I know, now it's kind of cold and I'm kind of shivering. Okay, so we see her, though, with her wits about her, being able to move out in a way that's going to end up protecting the nation of Israel's greatest leader. Greatest leader. Later on in the series, I'm going to tell you why I believe that Moses is most likely the greatest leader outside of Jesus to ever have lived on the planet. In verse 7, as we go down, Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and call a nurse for you from the Hebrew women that she may nurse him for you? So she is bold. I would dare say that the little Hebrew girls were not approaching Pharaoh's daughter on any given day to just, you know, skip up to her and ask her a question. That was probably not happening at that time. And so here here we see her, and she's going right up to her. She actually set the whole thing up. Should I go do this? And then this can happen. And I mean, you know, I mean, it's wild. Getting her mother to be the nurse who cared for Moses until he was weaned is huge. I mean, and, and then, you know, we hear Pharaoh's daughter said, take him away. Bringing him back when he's weaned, when you're finished nursing him. Well, how many of you know that could be two years or more? You know, I mean, yes, I I do know. I have an opinion about that. But I'm like, whoo, give him a cup of milk. Give Give him a sippy cup. When they walk up to you and lift your shirt up, you're like, okay, all right. For the love of God. I'm just kidding. All right, so... 
but, but really, could have been years old, literally, for real. So remember back when Michelle was talking the first week how she had all this time with him to speak identity, to speak life over him, to speak all the, the good things of, of the Lord into his life. She, there she is just nursing him and talking to him and speaking, decreeing a thing over him. Literally doing that. And she probably didn't even fully know Moses' calling. She probably had some kind of... But she knew what she was doing was blessed of the Lord. She knew that. Now, we don't hear about Miriam again until the Israelites have crossed the Red Sea. But this young girl made a huge mark on her nation's history. Massive. This one's for the girls. Doesn't matter how old. Age doesn't matter. Obedience matters. Age doesn't make any difference. Young, old, in between, obedience is what matters. And that is a running theme through the story of Moses. The whole thing, literally from beginning to his ending, is about obedience. A lot of it is. So verses 5, uh, oh, I'm sorry, number 3, I'm going to give you this one, is Pharaoh's daughter. Now, we don't have, we don't know her given name. I could try to come up with some kind of, Tutton's, I don't know, Egyptian name. I don't know. I have no idea what her name was. I tried to find it. All she's referred to in biblical texts and even in rabbinical texts that I tried to find was that she was Pharaoh's daughter. So verses 5 through 9, it says, Then the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the Nile with her maidens walking alongside her, and she saw the basket among the reeds and sent her maid, and she brought it to her. So when she opened it, she saw the child. Behold, he was crying. She had pity on him and said, this is one of the Hebrews' children. Then his sister Miriam said to Pharaoh's daughter, shall I go and call a nurse from you from the Hebrew wives that she may nurse the child for you? And Pharaoh's daughter said, go ahead. So the girl went and called the child's mother. Then Pharaoh's daughter said to her, take this child away and nurse him for me and I shall give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed him. The point I want to make about this woman is that because of her position as a daughter of the king, it literally meant she had access to anything and everything in the kingdom, which in turn meant her son had access to anything and everything in the kingdom, right? Just think that through for a minute. I believe that Moses was probably an influential young man as he grew up in Egypt. I think everyone must have known who he was as he walked about. You know, I'm sure he looked just like other Egyptians, all the, all the situation, all that that they wore. You know, the men had more eye makeup on than the women. It was a lot, you know. But, but whether he knew he, he was a Hebrew or whether they knew he was a Hebrew or not, I believe that he had massive influence and everyone knew who he was because he was the son of of Pharaoh's daughter. And she rescued him from the Nile. And soon we will see the flipping of that as he rescues his own people through a sea, much bigger than a river, right? Through an actual sea, the Red Sea, massive body of water. Now this same Nile river that is running red with the blood of the Hebrew boys, we know will soon be running red with the firstborn of every household in Egypt's child. Remember, the Passover. And that was 
boys and girls. Whoever was born first, right? So the Nile plays a big part in this, running red at two different times in this story of Moses. One with Hebrew children, one with Hebrew boys, one with Egyptian children, boys and girls. Now see, only the Lord can bring a reckoning such as that. Only he can do that. And that's true in our day too. Um, At the end today, after your talk time, I'm actually going to, to talk about the significance of time right now and what we are stepping into and, um, and it's, it has a word connected to it that's a bit like a reckoning. So, see, none of this had been possible if this daughter of Pharaoh had not first been moved with pity, right, in her heart as she looked upon him. And she named him Moses. Now, the Hebrew word, Moshe, means uh, drawn out from water. And the Egyptian name, what she would have given him, meant son. And how interesting that even her naming him son would one day be flipped to the true deliverer, God's one and only S-O-N, not the S-U-N, right? All of it plays together. Moses is a typecast of Jesus from beginning to end. So in these women, what we see in these three women is one of the biggest and most important stories ever to be told on planet Earth, ever. I mean, it's big. We don't often think about it because familiarity breeds doubt or contempt. It, it, it breeds a whatever, you know, okay, okay. You know, I mean, that's kind of what it does because we've grown up with the felt board, felt board Moses, right? All the things, that's what we have done. But it really has a significance because we see the hand of God, and Gina's going to touch on this more next week. We see his hand all the way through this story in miraculous ways, like mind-blowing ways. Remember, I told you all along, I believe the reason we're doing this study is because what we are getting ready to see on our earth is the only way it can happen is because of God. And it will be biblical. Because God's not finished with planet Earth. He's not finished. He, he's not. It, it's, just, it's not time to wrap it up yet. The bride's not complete yet. She's not shiny. She's not without spot or wrinkle. We, we got to get the bride going again. We got to get this thing rolling again. And then the end will come. Women, and I wanted to take last weekend this week to talk about how intricately involved you and I, I'm going to bring it down to us in the garage, whatever we're in today. I'm going to bring it down to us. God wants to use us as his mouthpieces, his hands, his feet. He wants to put a dream or a vision in your heart, in your mind as you sleep even. I declare that over you now in Jesus' name, that you'll begin to dream the dreams of God, that you'll begin to see how your one life can begin to make a mark as such will have eternal impact for eternity. And that's not just for people in ministry. That's for all of us as Christians. Our lives are meant 
to, to go on and on and on. The only thing on the earth that is eternal is the church. The church is eternal. And we as women are part of that. And as we step into our place and begin to take our rightful position there, we will see the hand of God begin to move around us. And that's why I wanted to highlight these women today. Now, I want us to talk for just a few more minutes about Moses' mother, Jochebed. Um, I want you to just put yourself in her shoes. I want you to think for a moment how hard this entire scenario must have been. First of all, she had just had a baby. Anybody? Now, you may think you're tough, and you're just like, whoo, after that, you're like, I don't even know. I don't even know what just happened to me. That's how it feels. You know, that is how you physically feel. Except my sister-in-law, Jill Casey's mom, she was at Walmart the next day. I was like, how did you do that? Like, I can't even, like, get, I don't even know. I don't even understand that. But she must have been wondering all these nine months all along, is this a boy or a girl? And knowing if it's not a girl. If this baby's not a girl, he's going to die. There were no sonograms. There was no lifeline pregnancy center to go get it checked out at to see, you know, what was happening. Just imagine the moment that the baby is born and the midwife says it's a boy. Just, just think for a second what that must have been like in that moment. Joy over new life. <laughs> <clears throat> and devastation because he's not supposed to live. I mean, it's just... So now it's up to her to devise a rescue operation for this newborn. Y'all, most of us cannot figure out how to get the car seat in the car to get home from the hospital. I mean, you know, Tim and I were out there like 30 minutes trying to get the car seat in the car. And then I was like, oh, my God, if you speed, I will kill you. I mean, you know, you're just like, we don't know. She's trying to devise a way to save her baby from a tyrannical king who has mandated and made an edict that all Hebrew boys are to be thrown into the Nile River. That's, that's big. So she makes the tava, and she tars, and she pitches it, and then she lays her baby in it at three months old because she can't hide him anymore. He's too noisy. You know, they get squirmy and noisy about that age. About 90 days, they become like a little... At first, they're just like, you know, a little, like, burrito that you just wind up and, you know, you just bundle them, and it's just like they're like a little burrito. Then they start moving around and making noises and doing all the things. She couldn't hide him anymore. So she creates this wicker basket. She makes it, tries to make it safe. But you talk about significant. I mean, that was, that was dangerous. Have y'all ever seen any kind of like National Geographic stuff about the Nile River? You know what lives in the Nile River? Crocodiles. I mean, there's all kinds, hippopotamus. There's all kinds of stuff that lives in there. I mean, that's not to mention if the wind just blowed. I mean, he wasn't in a boat. He's in a basket. Like, think about that. It's crazy, all that. And here we see from his mother 
this beautiful release, this total release. Could you do that? I mean, I understand there's a special grace on her in this moment to be able to do the thing that God's called her to do, you know, but I really sat and thought about that. Could I do that? You know, the loss that she must have felt in that moment of putting that basket in the water, it's heartbreaking to think about. It just kind of wrenches your heart out to think about. The heaviness, because she didn't really know that Pharaoh's daughter was coming by soon. She didn't know what was coming by. She didn't know if a crocodile was going to go, I mean, who knows? She didn't know. She really didn't know. She knew nothing. She only knew in that moment loss and release. And the grief that she must have been experiencing as she was thinking about things she would never see him do. She would never see him take his first steps. She would never see him crawl. She would never hear his first word. She would never see him grow up into the Hebrew tradition. She would never see him have a bar mitzvah. She would never see him get married or have children. The grief from just the the release of it all is quite overwhelming. But yet... She had heard about another Tava that was rescued from the water. She heard about it. And she knew that maybe God could do that again in her day. And that maybe this time it wouldn't just save one family, but that it would save an entire nation. That one act. It's massive. How many of you know if God's done it before, he can do it again? I know that's a song, but it's real. Anything God has ever done before, he absolutely is able to do it again before our very eyes. I really, truly believe that. So I'm going to release you right now to your talk time because I have a little something I'm going to close out with today that's going to be a little bit longer than our normal closeout, than our normal like rah, rah. Sis Bimba, whatever. I mean, normally I kind of close you out with a prophetic punch, but we're going to kind of talk a little bit about the timing that we're in um, as we truly cross over tonight at sundown as Rosh Hashanah ends. And um, so I want our, here's our talk time question though today. And you're going to have about, about 12 minutes. What is God asking you to release? Now, if that's a question that you're like, I don't want to share that. Then think about, ask Holy Spirit to just quickly remind you, and Holy Spirit, quickly remind them about a time when you had to let something go. It doesn't matter how trivial it may seem, right? I'm not saying that you had to, you know, put your baby in a basket and send it down the river. That, that's massive. It may be something small that God was just going, I want that right there. I, I just, I want you to release that right there. It may, have, it may be a place of unforgiveness, of bitterness. It may be an old negative mindset. It could be anything. It may be money. It may be a generosity moment when God was asking you to release something. It, there's all kinds of things that it could be. Where is God asking you to release? Because the, the story, what we, what we just 
learned about today is that her act of release opened the way for all this other goodness to come. You know, and sometimes that's all it takes from us, that one act of obedience. And it's like a waterfall. It just opens up. It just heaps and heaps and heaps of blessing, beautiful blessings. So we're going to...